Amen. Well, I'm very happy tonight to see this great group tonight in the house of the Lord. And we have um, once a quarter this year, we, we have made the decision that we were going to have a, a, a Sunday night where we would preach and we would we decided to call it Burning Questions. And that way you could submit. And, of course, now that we have a very active website, we've also allowed folks on the website to submit questions and so on. Unfortunately, there are so many questions that we can't get to them. We can only take uh, the ones, grab them, and go for it. But next quarter when we do it, um, we're going to answer every question that we can in that format. In other words, we won't be preaching entire sermons on a question. We'll be taking every question. Can can I curse like a sailor? Nope. That'll be that question. Can I smoke tobacco and, and have no consequences? Nope. And we just answer the question. So we got two, those two out of the way just there. But that's what we'll do next quarter. And we're going to answer every question. Now, it'd be a different team and so on. Uh, maybe I'll have to, I don't know exactly how we'll do it, but we will answer every question that we can. Now, sometimes questions come across that are not given to this format. So we can't answer those questions here. Uh, and, and even some that we're answering, we, we are being as delicate as we can. Now, uh, and I also want to, while, while I'm preliminary here, I want to thank uh, Brother McGee. appreciate him. Uh, participating and brother French our assistant I thought they did an able job they took good questions and they did a great job and uh, are you all staying with us up here are you ready to go down no up you're staying up here praise the Lord is that correct all right praise the Lord amen I appreciate it. I was going to tell the praise team what a, a wonderful job they've done there's a good spirit here tonight, and I thank the Lord for it. Now, I get the privilege of answering the final question for the evening, and, and uh, I'd like to read my question, and it is this. Can you p- please explain why people accuse us of being legalistic? Why do they mean, what do they mean when they say that we are legalistic? It's not that I can't read. It's that I, I'm learning to use the four eyes that God gave me. Here we go. Did Jesus come to do away with the Old Testament? In other words, it, it, this, of course, that's three questions already. And in other words, they want to know if something like women wear men's apparels in the Old Testament, can we just do away with that? That's sort of the, the, the gist. And then, here, then it says, is it appropriate to teach standards by using the Old Testament? These are excellent. Of course, that's four questions. But since those four questions are uh, bundled and similar, we can answer them as, as one question. And I would like us to pray. I, I'm going to read my text, but I'm going to do so after we pray. This is not a trivial question tonight. It is not a question that I take lightly and I'm not answering it because it's burning questions tonight. I'm answering it because it is a very crucial question that we must answer. Now, I've only got, I'm not going to preach all night, although I'm under no time constraints. No one said, Brother French, we might want you to stay, although everyone else was under time constraints. They were. They knew that we only have so much time. But that was never mentioned to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm under no time constraint, except my own good common sense. 
And so I don't have a lot of time tonight to be able to say what I want to say. And I want you to preach with me. Now, if you like it, I want you to act like you like it. I don't want you to get offended. I don't want you to uh, think, oh, well, that's boring. I want you to, I want you to preach with me tonight because I'm going to entitle this message, Perfecting Holiness. Now, I want us to lift our hands and ask God to anoint His Word. Father, we thank You. We praise You because every one of these have been sermons in their own right. They've been answers to questions, but they are sermons. We thank You, Lord, tonight that You will anoint the Word and this people. And I ask God that You will take the Word of the Lord and that You will help us, Lord, to deliver it and be, Lord, a blessing to this people tonight. And we give You praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, of course, being seated uh, is a time for us now to open our hearts. Now, since Paul addresses the question that I have read to you, and, and let me say that almost every question, I did have one question I looked at, and they said, what about this question? And it had a name on it. But I've, that's the only question out of dozens and dozens of questions. I don't see all the questions because I'm not the one that's uh, running that through. They, they get them. They, they, you know, there's a bunch of them. Look at these. What do you think of these? And that's, that's dozens of them. But very seldom do they have a name on it. And the question that I just read you, which is actually four questions, it, it does not have a name on it. And that's, that is most people submit to questions, we might say, anonymous. They're not actually saying, oh, I've got this question. Please answer it for me. And so I, I'm not addressing anyone. This is not because somebody, and I think that's fine. I think that's actually excellent. If you put your name on it, I think that's fine as well. But I'm reading tonight from Paul. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. And how many love the word? This is my text tonight. All right. And I'm going to give you a moment. I want you to read it with me. All right. And it hopefully will come up. There it is. I'm jumping in the middle. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. Everyone say cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves, which of course immediately implies that there's a work to be done. The question I have is, can we use the Old Testament to tell us how to do this cleansing? Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, which if I were preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, then it would clearly say from the, the, the flesh and the spirit there, Paul clearly tells us when he uses that language that he means the body and the inward spirit. Because we have an attitude in modern Christianity that it's a growing spirit that says, I don't even care what the Bible says. Anybody here care what the Bible says? I thank God for the Bible. And I believe we want to live by the Bible. We want to know what the Bible says. So we cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. That's the outward. Everybody say outward. The filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there I draw my title. Now, perfecting holiness in the New Testament, the continual issue issue arose as to just how to apply the Old Testament. I think that is critical. And one one burning question won't, won't answer it because it's a magnificent and marvelous 
theme of the New Testament. Obviously, there's an Old Testament. Everyone say old. And therefore, it's old. It's the Old Testament. It's not the New Testament. There's an old covenant. And so something has happened to the old and there's a new. And the new covenant is what Christ came to. To bring, And so the, the question then becomes, how do I then apply the law or how do I understand the law or how do I apply the Old Testament now that we're Christians? So how exactly does that work? Do we throw the Old Testament away? And so then we would then be throwing away, thou shalt not kill. Are we to throw that away? Should the pages of the law of Moses, like Deuteronomy 6, 4. I need a, a little bit of monitor, folks. I don't want to have to get loud. Just, just keep me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to want to chat a little, not, not just get, have to get loud. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Are we just going to throw that away? In other words, would we take the Old Testament? And I think you're recognizing that that would be an untenable proposition. That the Old Testament is to be discarded. Should we disregard it? Should we tear it out? And of course not. Jesus himself, his entire ministry quoted the Old Testament as scripture. In fact, there's hardly a single time that Jesus speaks that he does not quote the Old Testament. He, all of Jesus' teaching was based on the law. Everybody say praise the Lord. All of Jesus' teaching... Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. All of Jesus' teaching was based upon the law. Because the law is true. It is fulfilled, but it is true. There's not a lie in the Old Testament. Every word of the Old Testament is true. Can you say praise the Lord? I wish somebody would preach with me a little bit. So the Old Testament is and was and is the word of God. So remember Jesus' great sermon in Luke 17. You'll remember it here. And uh, when he preached this sermon, remember Lot's wife. Anybody remember that sermon? Jesus preached it in Luke 17. Remember Lot's wife. That came from Genesis 19, 26. He included in that sermon that day the sermon of the end times as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be. So therefore we know that the Old Testament is still usable and it is still scripture. Anybody believe the Old Testament is the word of God? It is still scripture. The question is not is it still real? Was it ever real? And is it true? But is and how do we apply it today? Or could we take a scripture that has to do with women's apparel and men's apparel and disregard it? That's the question at hand. Is the Old Testament something that we can just say, forget that, it's gone forever. We never have to think of it again. So when Jesus argued with the Sadducees, which was not all that uncommon, he did not say, throw the Old Testament away. For he had just said to them, you have read the scripture and that is good. But what they had done when they read the scripture was missed the real meaning of the scripture. Does anybody remember what the great uh, debate was with the Sadducees? Anybody? They did not believe in a resurrection. And Jesus said, I got news for you, my friend. You have misinterpreted the word of God. And so the Sadducees were fussing at him all the time. Now I'm quoting here uh, Matthew twenty two twenty nine, And in that scripture, Jesus called the Old Testament the scriptures. Everybody say the scriptures. the scriptures. 
And so if it's good enough for the Son of God, then it's good enough for me. Jesus loved the Old Testament and I love the Old Testament. And let me tell you something else. The great battle of this generation is the battle for the Bible. The devil intends to throw aspersions on the Bible and we intend to defend it every step that we take is going to be for the Word of God. Now, one more thing on this. Look at how Jesus used the Old Testament. In John 5, 39, listen, ye search the Scriptures, he said, because you think, and he was talking to the, to the Jews, you search the Scriptures. The, the New Testament was not even written. The very book of John had not even been written. When Jesus said, you search the Scriptures, Scriptures meaning precious words, precious writings. Scripture comes from a, a Greek word that means precious writings because you think that in them you have eternal life and these are they which witness or testify of me in other words the old testament is the very lifeblood of witness to who jesus is so the old testament is god's word but it has to be properly interpreted so how did jesus tell us to view this law and so I am go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not, Jesus said, that I am come to destroy the law. Don't you think for one minute that the law is destroyed? No. Or the prophets, Jesus added there, which is an interesting thing. Then Jesus is very careful to repeat these words. I am not come. I'm repeating them. I'm reading it right out of Matthew 5. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I am come to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, you're going to have to receive it, my friends. One jot or one tittle. Now, I'm going to weigh in on the jot and the tittle. I have no problem with it. I, I enjoy ancient language, and a jot and a tittle are from either both the Greek and the Hebrew, or at least Hebrew for sure. There's almost no question that the jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. It's a little... Uh, we call it, a, it's actually called a yud in the Hebrew language, but it's just a little, like, we, like oh, uh, something similar to, uh, like, a, like a, uh, what's that thing called? Apostrophe. <laughs> a, apostrophe, yes, except that it's got a little bit more of an edge to it. And so there's, the, there's an apostrophe. Thank you, Sister French. She loves preaching with me. And if you put a little more edge to it, make it almost look like a square on the side. That's the smallest little mark you can make. Now, later in Hebrew, they added uh, what they call the markings in the vowel system. And they're dots and so on. They're much smaller. But th this was long before anybody had ever thought of adding those. And, and this idea that the jot and the tittle, the, the, this, almost no doubt in my mind, I mean, I guess I've settled this so long ago, that the tittle is an old English way of talking about the small, the yota, the smallest little marking in the Greek language, which is uh, 
almost like the letter I, but you don't put a dot on it. So you just make this little mark, a small little stroke, and it's the other way from an apostrophe. And there you put that in, no dot. That's, that's the yota, or the, what we now would almost think of as the letter I. And Jesus said, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not pass away from the law. Everyone say the law till all, everyone say all, until all be fulfilled. Praise God. So when you approach the Old Testament, you approach it very, very carefully. Because everything it says will be fulfilled. Now, does that mean I will take a lamb and go to some sacrificial spot and offer blood? No, I will not. Because that is fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament is still the word of God properly interpreted. Yet the Jews claimed that Jesus broke the law. And they wanted to crucify him for it. But they would not or could not allow it to be fulfilled in Jesus. So they were opposed to it. Now, the truth... The ceremonial law is fulfilled in the new life of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say it again. Ceremonial law, sacrifice, and and the big uh, bulk of all of the writings of the books of Moses, which tell you to do it this way and do it that way and use this ointment, do this and this sacrifice and the other sacrifice. All of the ceremony of the law has been fulfilled in the new life of the Holy Ghost. And so every time we talk about the, 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 the finest of the wheat and talk about the honey in the rock, what we're talking about is it's fulfilled. No, 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 I don't have to go get a sacrifice and pour honey on an altar. I've got the greatest sweetness in the world. I have God in my life through the power of the Holy Ghost. That is its fulfillment. Someone tried to convince me recently that I needed to go to church on Saturday. And I said, well, you're going to take a long time. And I don't think you have eternity to convince me that I ought to be worshiping on Saturday. And I'm going to tell you why. And so we went into it. And he tried everything in the world to make me believe or help me to understand what he understood. And that is that the fulfilling of the Sabbath was still a requirement. And I just kept saying, well, let's go here. Maybe this will help you understand my position. Here's what, here's what, I'm not here to preach on the Sabbath, but you understand what I'm saying. The ceremonial law of the Sabbath and its fulfillment, all of that is fulfilled in the power of the Holy Ghost. For example, Jesus is the lamb that is slain. And he takes away the sins of the world. There is no need for a repeated offering of sacrifice. And of course, I'm basically now uh, teaching and preaching the book of Hebrews. But there is no such thing. If it requires a sacrifice now, then we are hopeless. Because if, if we have to go back and get another sacrifice, I want to tell you, devil, you're never going to stop the blood of Jesus. You will never stop the power of God. We will always be about the kingdom. And the kingdom is the fulfillment of the precious law of the Old Testament. So there is no longer need for the legalistic or the ceremonial practices. I'm not making fun of them. I'm not discarding them. I'm trying to tell you that they are fulfilled. And Jesus 
is trying to let this world know that he is the fulfillment of the law of God. And do you know why? Because he alone is God. (laughs) There is no God but he. And he is able to fulfill it. But, but, there is a caveat. That is to say the ceremonial practices of the law could not render all of the things of Moses and the prophets. No, 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 no. They're not all consumed in the ceremonial practice and the fulfillment. And neither are they to be bundled up together in just Christian thinking. But there is what is also known as the moral law. And this generation hates it. This generation pushes against it. This generation says, no, 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 no. But I tell you, the moral law of God will remain in place until the very last day of eternity. And there is no last day of eternity. I am telling you tonight that the moral law remains untouched. That is to say... Praise God. Let's lift our hands. We need, come on, I need, I need to praise him a little bit. Father, thank you for it. But I know that, we, that we're trying to answer questions. But I feel that you're speaking to our hearts. Praise God. Praise God. That is to say, for those of you that are still with me, that moral law is another way of saying I hate to do this to you after a message on hell but I've got to have a drink Brother French made me so thirsty and I I didn't have any water over there and I feel bad but uh, did you get on the subject of the fellow wanting just a drop of water no well, I was thinking about it, and, and I had to have, a, have that drink, so I'm sorry about that. But when you say moral law, you are really saying, or you are, it's the equivalent of saying, principles, eternal principles, one of which is holiness. And how many knows that truth is always truth? It doesn't matter if Moses says it or Jesus says it or the Apostle Peter says it. If it's truth, it's, it's truth. And so what we are really saying is that the principles of the Old Testament that are embedded deep within the Word of God that have nothing to do with the ceremony and the nuance of the Jewish faith but has everything to do with truth, that all remains. Nothing changes. Moral sin remains. Moral guilt remains. That which violated moral principle still violates moral principle. I've had people several times just, and I'm not, it doesn't make me upset that they want to know, well, why in the world can't a, a man marry a man? That doesn't upset me that they want to know the answer. They deserve an answer. We better start giving an answer. And we better start letting the word of God be our answer. Because we are in a very interesting generation. And I say to this church tonight, we will preach the moral purity of God's word until our last breath. 
We will not compromise or step away from the word of God. Young people, listen to me. It's high time we get our face in the word of God. It isn't just about emotion. It's not because you shout and dance. You better have your heart in the book and you better love it. Because not only do you have a devil that's running rampant, we also have a culture that has yielded itself to that very force of sin. And they are determined and they are strong. And it's going to require an equally determined heart to preach righteousness in this world. Most people that say to me that's legalism, they mean something completely foreign to the word of God. But I am saying tonight, moral sin, which violates moral principle, rushing into the very days of Jesus and the sounding of the angels at the birth and, the, and what we think of as Christmas story and, and, and the Jesus walking along the, the, the shores and, and walking on the water and all of that. The principles that had for centuries been the principles of the people of God and they saw it lived out in the ceremonial practices of their faith. Those principles remain true in the life of Jesus. There was nobody fulfilled the law like Jesus. I'm telling you tonight, there is nobody like Jesus. There's nobody ever been like Jesus. You'll never be. I want to tell you, the number one curse word in America is Jesus because this culture is pushing itself as fast as it can from Jesus. But the Bible said, though this world pushes back, I'm going to send revival. The gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against the the truth now so everybody say praise the lord praise okay the lord. now i got another win give me another second now the vilest of the immoral was what the old testament calls abomination for example moral principle remains and paul preached moral principle based right on the old testament i wish i had some time to uh, really develop that but it's true and Paul draws from that Old Testament to say that the male and the female must follow God's holiness principle of distinction. They must do it. I have people say to me, oh, yeah, like that. Why? What does that matter? Oh, you have to take that up with God. He's the one that made the male and female and maintaining the holiness principle of distinction everyone say holiness. holiness it's based on the old testament scripture of creation that is he made no one i don't ever hear anybody say well why in the world do we have bumblebees i never hear that we have bumblebees because god made bumblebees right. someone said well the bumblebee must have evolved from what you tell me what it evolved from 
There is no theory of evolution that accounts for most of the, of the things that God made. Oh, some horse grew a, had a funny little toe and somebody went, Whoa! I want to tell you, if all it takes is a horse's toe to get you excited, then I got a real gospel for you. The blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than every devil in hell. And no demon can stop it. So Paul said, based upon the Old Testament, the male and the female, they must follow God's principle of holiness, of distinction. And this is based in creation. So let me quote uh, 1 Corinthians, the head of every woman, Paul says. The head of the man is Christ. And the head of every woman, verse uh, 3 of chapter 11, that is, the source of woman was man's side. How many knows that's true? The woman came from the rib of the man. I want to I want to tell you something. The devil is so mad. The devil would like nothing more for this world to just say, "Oh well, we just came from either monkeys or some some little something way back." They're probably pre. Well, of course, now all evolutionists are teaching that it's pre-monkey. That we didn't come from monkeys anymore. We came from something that the monkeys also came from, and we found a uh, this bone. And this bone right here, I, that that's definitely proving that. So don't get on to me because I hold on to the principles of the most powerful book that was ever written when you're holding on to the, to the a bone of some kind of whatever you're calling that. They used to say Neanderthal, but you can't say Neanderthal. Not if you're a true uh, blue. If you're truly into paleontology, you would never talk about Neanderthal. Except in some uh, abstract way, because Neanderthals proven long ago to be uh, not what they thought it was. And uh, one of the bones, I love to visit it, and I do enjoy seeing evolutionary uh, museums. But uh, the one I really love is the one that they built an entire theory on. And when they got done, they found out that it was the knee bone of a pig. It wasn't even a monkey. And they were quite embarrassed, and you won't read much about that anymore. They've gone back and made sure they cleared that up, which I would too. I'm not faulting them for clearing up the big pig mistake. But I am telling you that if they can put their confidence in a pig bone, why are they so worried about me putting my confidence in the God that took a bone out of the side of man and made woman and said, this is the way I mean for it to be. I have made man and the woman. He created us for his purpose. And to violate that order is to God an abomination. You have heard it from the pastor, a preacher of the word. In fact, Paul draws from this to prove that it is a disgrace and a shame. I'm using both words, although I realize that that's the same word. But some might miss it. The Greek goes even deeper, but let's just leave it at that. It is a disgrace and a shame for a man to have long hair, Paul said in the very chapter I just read. And the Greek word there is koma. That's very critical because koma means to let it grow. For a man to let his hair just grow, that's a shame. Now, that's not an abomination. That is a shame and a disgrace. Yet God gave this right of distinction to the woman. She can let it grow. She is to let it grow. She's not to interrupt the growth. And he says that I've given that to her for her covering. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the principle of 
separation, if violated, as Moses stated, produces an abomination before God. I am not going to live my life in abomination before the God that made me. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Someone said, what kind of cursing can I do? Do whatever Jesus did. He had no guile in his mouth. So you young people, you listen to me. If you're talking dirty talk and dirty jokes and you think some comedian is so funny, you just got to draw that into your spirit, you're in trouble. Because you are violating the very spirit of the Christ that's in you. And you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. I threw that in for free. So the principle of separation, if violated, produces an abomination before God. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. I'm quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, which means second law. For all they that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. I would no more want to do abomination than I would want to shoot a bullet into my brain or cut my own arm off. The Hebrews called it and everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Hebrews called it Toebao. Toebao. There were many words, of course. I'm simply referring to the exact word in Hebrew here in the text I just read pertaining to this distinction between the man and the woman. So that is the violation of which are so disgusting to God, so unraveling of the righteousness of God's plan that it is said to be, and now I'm interpreting the word abomination, it is the vilest of the vile. Someone said it doesn't matter. It only doesn't matter to a people that have lost their way and are so far from the light they cannot even see what God is thinking or or have ever given any thought to what God is thinking. But God said that is vile. The moment you begin to cross this line, you have reached the point of abomination. You are in the vilest of the vile. Now remember that holiness principles from the Old Testament Remain today. So Paul said, holiness, Hebrews, now I'm in Hebrews, without which no man shall see the Lord. I've been using, uh, I worked for a company called Tyndale for years and there's a translator there. Of course, I I enjoyed language study and so on. And there's a fellow there that did a translation for them. It's quite popular now. It wasn't when I was there. It was in the making. But uh, it's called the New Living. Not the Living, but the New Living. And I thought, I thought I'm going to see what uh, Phil Comfort is. How did he translate that? Maybe, maybe uh, just take a look and listen to, to uh, the New Living. Work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Wow. Everybody say praise the Lord. So holiness is a principle. And I, I've often wondered why uh, I get this question as often as I do. Is, is that a heaven or hell? You know, I get that a lot. And, I, and I've, I've developed an answer. Well, what, what, are you, <laughs> what are you looking for? 
I mean, are you wanting to find out if you can just disregard it or you really want to know? In other words, well, if I smoke that, would, would, would I just go straight to hell? No, you'll probably breathe air for a good while. And, and uh, no, I don't think you'd go straight to hell. If I watch that, would I go straight to hell if I watch that? that I, I, I'm just amazed by a, a, a postmodern culture that is so quick to, uh, to toss out the principles, the very principles of course, a, a whole generation of teaching of evolution, a whole generation of people beating down the Bible, and now they're trying to beat down the church. And let me tell you something, Jesus is coming soon, and you better get used to it. But I want to tell you something, folks, the principle of holiness is as real today as it ever was. God is as alive tonight as he's ever been. Now, today, today, legalism is this. If anybody or the Bible tells you that you have to do something, anything, that's legalism. That's the modern definition of legalism. Nobody can tell anybody else they have to do something. Now, there are little uh, pockets of Christianity that said, well, you know, you can't do anything to be saved. And, and that's, they've got a different definition. I'm not, I'm not talking about that definition of legalism. I'm talking about the postmodern idea that nobody can tell anybody else who they can marry, what they can do, or what is right. By this definition, if you don't believe in gay marriage, you're a legalist. But this is false. Then there's the Bible definition. Someone who tells you to obey the law and its ceremonies, such as the Sabbath to be saved, that is biblical legalism. But the Bible tells us that the law was our schoolmaster. To bring us to Christ. So now we live by the law of Christ. Jesus isn't less holy. How many knows that we aren't supposed to be less holy than they were in the Old Testament? There wouldn't be any way in the world we'd be less. Jesus isn't less holy. How many knows that Jesus is a holy, holy example? Praise God. He's the purest of the pure. And that crowd that says, oh, you can't do anything to save yourself are barking up the wrong tree. Sure, we're saved by the cross, the blood and all of that. But then they say, then that's it. You can do anything you want. Yes, you can do anything the Spirit wants you to do in your life because you are not your own. You have been bought with the price. Praise God. The greatest of the apostles, James the Just, pastor of Jerusalem, tells us that it has also got to get deep into our hearts. He called it the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And I'm going to read James. I'm not going to dig too deep, but let me say it. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. Preach it, James. That's good preaching. What doth it profit, he said in the next chapter, my brethren, though a man have faith and have not works. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead. So no amount of whining can make obedience to God's moral law into needless legalism. We must obey the principle of holiness 
based upon the teachings of the Old Testament and the very words of the apostles in Jesus who quoted continually from that Old Testament to show us how that we are now living in the new law of liberty. If you get the real Holy Ghost, come on, stand with me right now. You get the real Holy Ghost and you're going to live holy and obey the principles of the entire Bible. Without meeting on Saturday or living under law, you will obey the principles of God's word. So the Holy Ghost will bring deliverance. Praise God. I want us to come forward. I want us to just come up here and I want us to ask God to help us tonight in this world that needs deliverance. Let's pray that God will send the spirit of conviction and deliverance in these last days. And then we're going to be dismissed from right up here. I want, could you lift your hands? I know the praise team's up here. We'll let them uh, do however they are planned to do. I want us to just lift our hearts. Father, right now, Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost, come on, everybody, let's just pray. Let's pray for our county. Let's pray for Jonesboro. Let's pray for just a moment. Come on, reach your hands. Let's reach our hands up for a moment. Father, I pray that the Holy Ghost will speak to us. Jesus, I want to love the word like you did. I want to believe what you believe. I want to be a, I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Christ in all that I do. I'm fashioning my life after you, Jesus. I know that I fail. I know I'm not what I should be. But thank God I'm not what I was. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that your spirit is going to reach this community. And that the power of God is going to be more powerful than anything else that's going on. And Lord, the news is going to get out. Those folks really have something over there. Lord, I pray that we will be alive in the spirit. That we will not be afraid. We're not just going to follow after the spirit of the age. We're not just going to wear everything the world's wearing. And do everything the world's doing. But we're going to stand, Lord, for your word and whatever you tell us to do. Lord, we're going to give it our very best.